Father, we thank you just for an opportunity to gather together to open up your word. We we pray that you would teach us something very convicting, very encouraging, that you would strengthen us, that you would empower us, that we would leave having a different perspective of who you are and what your word means. Father, um, our worlds are pretty complicated. At least it feels that way to us. And we have trouble sometimes juggling what's important and what's urgent. But we pray, Father, that you would continue to give us perspective on how to spend our time, how to use our gifts, and how to make a kingdom impact for all the days in our life. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Let me just do a review here. A quick review. We've been into Second uh, Timothy for a while now, and we're going to jump into chapter 4. But before we get there, I just want to remind you that the Apostle Paul used to flash his credentials very often. And his credential was Apostle. And he would use the chosen word all the time. And so he starts off this pretty much like he starts off a lot of his letters, And he just really says, hey, I am Paul, I'm an apostle, I have been chosen by God to be able to tell unbelievable good news to everybody. And that's what his heart was. If you would ask Paul again, you'd meet him on the street, hey, who are you? I'm an apostle, I've been chosen by God, and I'm here to tell you some good news. And that's who Paul was. He didn't ever forget that. He was writing Timothy from prison, in a very ugly prison, a very disturbing type of prison. He understood that he was going to die very shortly, maybe weeks since this letter goes out, maybe months, but he knew that he was going to see his Lord very soon. He was concerned about Timothy. He was concerned about his church. He was concerned that maybe there were some things that were drifting, some things that were, were becoming less important. And so Paul pulled out all the stops. I didn't know if he knew this was his last letter or his last correspondence, but he knows one thing, that that he was going to make sure that Timothy knew all the things that he wanted to be able to share. Paul reminded Timothy of his heritage, of how wonderful his grandmother and mother were. He reminded him of his great faith. He reminded him that God had given him unbelievable gifts to be able to equip and empower the church. He warned him not to be ashamed of the gospel or of Paul, even though he was in prison. He was in prison for a good reason. He warned him over and over and over and over. It's a constant theme. You are going to suffer. You are going to hurt. Life is not going to be easy. It will not be comfortable. If you are a God follower, you will suffer in some area. You will have less money. You will have less time. You will have less, and you put it in there. Okay? But that's a principle not only for pastors, but for every one of us. Is that God has a tendency to use suffering in our lives to refine us. To turn things that we think are ugly or bad or inconvenient or uncomfortable into something that's beautiful. He also warned him that um, as he continued to go through life, that things are probably going to get worse. Even back then. We looked in the beginning of chapter 3 and we just were rec- or we recognized that, that times are going to get harder. And he warned them even back then. He warned them um, about the gospel of grace. Not in a negative way, but he shared with Timothy, he says, I want you to be strong about one thing. He doesn't use this term in any other way. He says, I want you to be unbelievably strong in the gospel of grace. I want you to understand grace. Now, Paul, again, was a herald of grace. We know that. 
only because he felt he was the greatest sinner, perhaps he was the greatest sinner, just to put that in perspective, and then to give the greatest sinner the privilege of being one of the most amazing church planners and Bible authors. That's called grace. You know, every one of us think we get some wisdom every once in a while, and God teaches us these these little tidbits at times, and some of us might even um, be able to share these tidbits with others. But what was so amazing here in Paul's life, more amazing than anything else, is that he just knew every time he took a breath, it was because of God's grace. Every privilege he had was because of God's grace. And it just goes back to God's grace. You know, I have a, a, a wedding that I'm going to be officiating. It's going to be in West Virginia. And I talked to the bride. It's going to happen at the end of this month. And I talked with the bride, who I've known for a long time, and just asked what she would like. And one of the things she just said to me, just really point blank. She goes, Rick, I just like when you talk about God's grace. So would you make that part of the wedding? I can do that. That's, that's a good one. We, we can talk about God and His grace and how much He cares so much about us. You know, um, He not only wanted Him to be strong in this message, but He wanted Him to be strong in teaching this message. Remember, most of us have a tendency just to read the Bible or hear the Bible or get Bible teaching, and it benefits us, as we have learned in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. But one of the things Paul was very, very proactive about is I not only want you to understand the gospel of grace, but I want you to begin to talk about this gospel of grace all the time. I want you to teach it. He also warned to Timothy, he said, I, I, I want to warn you, that uh, it's going to be really easy to be ungodly. I want you to be pure. I want you to pursue. I want you to run after godliness. And I want you to remain as faithful as your grandmother and mother were. You know, for the last two weeks, some of you have been around, some of you have caught the podcast, but basically did a little bit of a detour and just talked about how amazing God's Word was. Because if you open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we looked at this verse 16. And Paul said this, All Scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do or, or teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the scriptures, to prepare and to equip his people for every good work. Because all scriptures, everything that's in this book, this inspired book, inspired word of God, it's useful. It's useful for us to learn for us to understand all that God has for us. Now I'm just going to go over a few of these words because technically I think that it will be really, really helpful to understand um, what Paul was trying to get at. First of all, he says this. If you look at verse 16, and I know we've gone over this a little bit, but uh, he starts off saying that the scripture, every scripture, uh, is useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our life. It corrects us. This word corrects us actually um, is only used one time in the New Testament. And it refers to a restoration of something to its original and proper condition. Alright? Now Paul is looking at this and he's recognizing that as he begins to look at Timothy, he wants to make sure again that God's word is not only remembered, not only taught well, but to understand the power and the authority of God's Word. I'm pretty sure everyone sitting here tonight will again say, God's Word is really important. I get it. But what Paul was actually saying to Timothy is, hey, the Scriptures, in some senses, are used 
to be able to set something upright that has been fallen down. It is to help a person back on their feet after they have stumbled. It's after exposing and condemning false belief or sinful conduct in believers, Scripture then builds them up through divine correction. So the Scriptures has a tendency to be able to call an ace an ace. The Scripture will not, you know, um, kind of excuse different things in our world. But what it does is that once it corrects each one of us, it helps us get realigned. It sets us back up on our feet. And it gives us the ability to be able to function well. So in the book of 2 Timothy, as we open this up again, and we recognize that these are Paul's last words, He's shouting to his buddy, Timothy. He's saying, hey, God's Word is critical. But what's really cool about God's Word, at least in this case, is that when it gives us truth and it be able to correct our behavior, again, for those that just walked in, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All right. It's able to set us back upright and kind of pat us on the back and say, let's move forward. And then as the scripture goes on, it says it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people. God's Word disciples us so we're complete. The word adequate here refers to people who are complete, capable, and proficient in everything they are called to do. One of the most exciting things of being a God follower is that God does not give you any kind of assignment without first of all saying, I'm going to help you, I'm going to equip you, I'm going to help you understand all you need to know in whatever I've called you to do. The Scripture is something that helps equip us to do what God has called us to do. You know, I think one of the major things that each one of us have to understand is that if you are in a church, you are never in a church just to get. Now, most of you know you've been around long enough, but we've got this little church called Willow Creek just a little bit from here, and another very small little peanut of a church called Harvest, just down the road over here. And then we have Arlington, or the uh, orchard, and and so we're we're in some ways um, in an unbelievable kind of neighborhood of mega churches, to be quite honest. And one of the things we find is people come walking in on a Sunday. So many of them that are new or whatever. And I'll just one of the questions is I'll greet them because I kind of know who's new. All right, and then we'll ask them, hey, what brings you here? And sometimes it's hey, I was driving by and I saw the sign, or, or I was searching on the web. Some of those come, but most of them, most of the answers will be, they'll name one of the churches. And they'll say, you know what? And they'll start giving a whole list of things that are perhaps wrong, or they don't like, or they want to be able to get rid of, and, and so on and so forth. Well, I'll listen to them for about eight seconds. And then I just very kindly look at him and say, well, you know what, I'm really glad you're here today. I don't know all of your history, you know, and, and this is going to sound real smooth because I say this all the time. Um, I don't know your history and I don't know really all the, the technical things that have happened to you or all the scenarios that have happened to you. I'd love for you to come and hear about God's grace and be part of our fellowship. But I also want you to know this. I'd love to sit down with you sometime to make sure that whatever you left, you left well. Okay. And if you end up landing here, my guess is God's calling you here. And that God's calling you to do something here. Not just to sit here. Not just to look good. Not just to, well, get fed. But you're actually here to do something. To serve somewhere. So I would just like you to know that as you enter into this process, I want to help you 
in every way. And, and if this is where God has called you, I know that there's a spot for you to be able to serve and be able for you to equip others, be able to help others grow in their journey and help people get connected right here. The majority of the time, when I get done with those sentences, all right, they will look at me and they say, well, I didn't come here to serve. I said, okay, well, you're still welcome. But if you stay, and I'll say it in my kind pastor voice, if you stay, my guess is um, you'll be serving somewhere. Now, sometimes that's the last time I ever talk to them, and, and, you know, I probably should shut up sometimes. But I am so convinced that the church is not about us. I'm so convinced that we're here to be able to grow and to be able to be encouraged and to be able to, well, understand all that we are so that we might be able to equip and encourage others. And one of the main ways that happens is through the understanding of God's Word. So there are people here in all different stages of their journey and where you read different ways and different parts of the Scripture. But the Scripture is used to be able to equip us and encourage us and strengthen us. And we spent just two weeks of talking all the things that God's Word does for us. So let's jump into chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read all the way through verse 5. Now, I don't know if we're going to get all the way through verse 5, but that's my goal, or at least my hope. And maybe we'll even get through verse 8. Okay, but we'll start with 1 through 5. Chapter 4. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Timothy says, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct and rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears will want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you, Timothy, should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord and work at telling others the good news. And faithfully carry out the ministry. You know what? You can leave it open. We'll, we'll die in here. And, and I don't, I'm fine. I can speak with lots of different distractions. And if you get bored, you can listen to them. And <laughs> listen to me a little more then. And, and then we'll be fine. Okay? Thanks for doing that. But I think we're probably hotter than, than that. Um, and so the last, last part um, Work hard at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has called you. Paul starts off this way. Again, last of his last words. Again, the, this letter was not written in chapters. Okay, This is a letter. But we divided it, or someone divided it, who was very kind, so we can find out where we are. Divided it in chapters, but this is just the last part of the letter. All right, This is just the closing part. And he says this, I passionately urge you to preach, to teach, and to pastor. He is saying, I, I'm saying this in the presence of God, who I am accountable to. You know, one of the things Paul was very clear all the way through his life, he did not fear Caesar. He, he did not fear Peter. And by the way, you, most people fear Peter. <laughs> he was a big cheese in the early church. Okay, He did not fear anybody. Okay, He didn't. And you would say, well, oh, he's very confident, he has a good self-image. No. It's that he really felt, more than anything, that he was accountable to God. And that God was his boss. You know, I had that bumper sticker that, you know, uh, my boss was a carpenter, you know, or is a carpenter. And I, I have that on my desk. And that is true because it reminds me over and over and over again. I may have, well, bosses in the chapel, and a lot of you guys are like my bosses sometimes, or you think that you're my bosses, you know. But, 
But really what happens is that I am and you are ultimately accountable to God. And that is scary and wonderful. That is terrific and also intimidating. Because really, as I even chat with people, I talk to them over and over again. One of my greatest joys and fears, all the same thing, is that I just want to stand before God whenever He calls me home. And I just want to hear, You did a great job. Well done. You were faithful. It actually doesn't matter what anybody else says at that time. And all of us are going to do it. We're all going to stand before God. We are. And he's just going to say, Whoa, I gave you five talents, Wager. Wager, I gave you two talents. What? What? How come? Why'd you only use one? What's the deal? Or he say, You know what? You used everything. All the way to the end. All the way to the end. If I have my mind when I, before I die, if I have my sight, if I have my facilities or whatever, or faculties or whatever I have here, you know, whatever, I just hope, you know, that I am more in love with our God and that I'm more passionate about who He is and serving Him than I was when I was 16 or 26 or 36. Because I think that's a natural thing for every one of us as we spend time with God. All right? We respect Him more. You know, we've been talking a lot about Jesus as King. And to some, that's kind of new. Uh, To others, we've heard it before. But one of the things I find myself trying to do is describe to others how you respond to a King. Because none of us really know how to do that. And it's just one of those things where Paul's just saying this. Hey, I just want you to know, I urge you, I am saying this in God's presence. And that's who we're really accountable to. Alright? I want you to preach. I want you to teach. I want you to shepherd. I want you to pastor. I want you to do the things that God has called you to do. And we just got to stop right here. And maybe that's what God has called some of you to do. But my guess is probably not. But God has called each one of you right here in this room to do something. And Paul's urging is the same for me, for Timothy, and for you. I just want you, remind you, whatever it is, I'm going to urge you, I'm going to beg you, I'm going to plead with you, use it, baby. Use it. Or basically the biblical principle is Or lose it. Use it. Or lose it. Anyway, this is just the first now, this section from verses 2 to 5. And again, it may not be a big deal to you, but but actually in the original language of Greek, this shouts. There are nine imperatives. Alright? Nine things that the Apostle Paul is not suggesting. All right, He's imploring, he's urging, he's begging with, again, God, who is our supervisor. And he starts off saying this, preach the word. And again, that's a good thing, especially for preachers. <laughs> preach the word. Make sure the word of God is your text. Make sure it's not about stories. And I'm not saying don't use stories. Um, Make sure that it's not about, well, social psychology. I'm not saying that never comes into play. But really what you need to focus on is the Word of God. Because for the last two weeks, we just looked at a few passages that said God's Word is amazing. It's better than money. It's better than popularity. It's better than health. And you put it in. It's better than driving a brand new Camaro. You know, it is better than that. I'd like to try it just to make sure. But it's better than that. Okay? It is the most important thing in our lives. 
I want you to preach it. I want you to focus on it. He's already told them he wants them to be a student of it. He also told them what, that it's very important. In just a few verses before which we talked about, hey, all scripture, it's useful for teaching. It's useful for instruction. It's useful for reproof. It's useful for correction. It will equip you. So Timothy, this is a no-brainer. The no-brainer is preach the word. Make sure you're a man of the word. Make sure you understand the word. Make sure you're faithful to the word. You know, if you get nothing out of this study, I hope you understand how important God's word is. And any one of us, we can kind of shortcut it. We can we can kind of do a devotional here and there. Or we can maybe pick it up or maybe think again once a Sunday. No one would admit that and no one would, would raise their hand and say, no, I just really think that's enough for me. It's kind of like saying, you know what, I'd like to have one steak this week, no other food. Well, I like steak. I'm pretty sure three hours later I'm still hungry. You know? And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to like be crabby. Hard to believe. And I'm going to kind of look around and try to find some food. He goes, holy shimoli, man, I am built to eat. You know, this is like critical for me. I love food. And God says, wait a minute. That's what my word is. My word is food. My word will nourish you. My word will light your path. My word will, will empower you. This is terrific. So, what I want you to do, first thing, really important, preach the word, whether it's convenient or not. Wasn't that, I mean, I don't know if you all were here Sunday. I don't know if you were able to uh, get the message. But wasn't that refreshing? I mean, Carol talked about a people group, all right, the Muslims. To which many of us, if not all of us, are a little bit intimidated, to be quite honest. Whether we don't know much about Islam, or whether we just don't believe Jesus is good enough, or whatever the reason is, I, I don't know. But I know one thing, is that as he shared, um, he had this passion, a refreshing passion, a passion that ignited me. It said, you know what, I just want to talk about Jesus. And if it's Joe Cocker, and my best friend is telling me, do not talk about Jesus to Joe Cocker. <laughs> Which is really, it, you know, for many of you in this room, that's kind of funny, Joe Cocker. Okay. That he would even be interested in God at all. You know, at least what I know a little bit about that. But, you know, you sit there and go, well, no, I, I'm, I'm going to do that. And, I, and I'm going to share. And this is just something that's really important, because really, the harvest is ripe. People are ready. Oh, okay. Well, Timothy, preach the word, whether it's convenient or not. Work it in. Work it out. Figure out how to get it in. Figure out how to do this. But you make that foundational in your ministry. And I think that's honestly one of the things we hope for. That's one of the ways we critique ministries here at the chapel. Is the Word of God critical and crucial in this ministry? Are we able to talk about God's Word? You know, last night we started off Awana again. Many of you remember that, and some of you were there. And I started off, I, was just, I had a little baby part at the end. And I just started off something like this. I said about 55 years ago, I went to my first Awana club. Now remember, Awana back then had no cubbies, had no pudgies, had no whatever they are, sparkies at that time, okay? You entered at third grade. So at third grade, I was there. And that started a journey for me. And I know one thing. My dad, talked about my sections more than anything else in our household. Did you... You can turn the AC on if you want. Michelle knows you're better. Yeah, and we can shut the windows. Yeah. Um, 
But I can tell you this. There are a lot of things in our lives, just like any other family. But the thing that my dad would focus on, how many sections, and it wasn't always the nicest way, I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was. Rick, did you do your sections today? No, that was not my dad. Okay. Hey, you got your sections done? I think we got to get working on that. Hey, what were they? What were the verses? Let's talk about the verses. Dad, I'm in third grade. You know? I mean, do we have to talk about justification right now? I can't even spell it. Most of you know I do not spell well. All right? But it didn't matter if I could spell. It didn't matter. But I needed to understand what justification was all about. That was really important. Brian, can you shut that now? Yeah. Thanks. It's way too noisy. <laughs> All right. No, we have AC. So again, make this foundational. And really what the word preach here, and, and you can go back in time a little bit, it means be the herald. All right. Back before internet, back before even daily newspapers, I, I guess they did some printing because didn't Ben Franklin? I don't know. Somebody invented something. Uh, Wittenberg. No, Gutenberg. Thank you. <laughs> okay, we're, we're moving forward here, okay? Don't listen to the podcast on this one. This, this is going to go downhill very fast. But what happened is that people would have a herald, a town herald, cow crier. Sometimes it was called. And any news, that person who's the biggest mouth in our town, you get this job. You are the town crier. Make sure everybody knows what's happening. This is the same word. So Paul was really just saying this. He goes, hey, I want you to be the town crier about God's word. I want you to shout it. I want you to proclaim it. I want you to herald it. I want people to know about God's word. That is so very, very critical. So that's where he starts off, first time. Then he says this, Be prepared. I solemnly urge you, I solemnly urge you, preach the word of God, be prepared. You know, Paul never was one, and and again, I don't know, we know he was a great student, we know he was a scholar, we know he had memorized at least the first five books of the Old Testament. That alone is pretty impressive. You know, we know he knew multiple languages. We know he was a sharp cookie. I don't know where Timothy landed in that spectrum. I don't know if Timothy, you know, could have got into a certain school or not. But I know this. He wanted Timothy to make sure he was prepared. That was part of the assignment. It was taking time to study and to understand. So, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. I don't want you to shoot from your hip. I don't want you to just kind of let things fly. I want you to be prepared. I want when you talk that, well, you remember the privilege that you have. And that's critical. (laughs) Then he said, patiently. Patiently. Literally, this means with endurance. Faithfully and systematically. Don't ever give up doing this. Be tenacious. Isn't that a good word? Tenacious. I love that word. All right. Um, and, and I think this is kind of what, what Paul is saying. Be tenacious in these next three things. Now, I'm going to say them together because I think it will help you put some things in perspective. But he, he said, keep correcting with good teaching. Now, this is a negative term in a negative way. Okay, keep rebuking with good teaching. I'm adding that to help you put it in context, but that's also negative. But here's the positive. Keep encouraging with good teaching. Now, I know all the studies say, well, you need to say um, at least uh, seven positive things to every negative that you say. Or you need to say 24 positive things with every, I don't know what the latest rule is, you know. I know that what educators are saying is, is that you're going to get a lot further ahead with encouragement than beating somebody up. Now, you can tell that to pro football coaches, 
most of the time I, I don't see them very encouraging. You know, they use language that is not very nice. They motivate people by screaming and so on and so forth. And we've all seen that. But realistically, what Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, you have to understand that this is a long-term thing. Now, if you guys, most of you have kids, you understand what parenting is. No parent either on the planet that I know of would say, "Uh, hey, Johnny, you lied to me. Stop doing that. And Johnny would go, no problem, Dad. I'll never do it again. And Johnny never lies again. Hey, wait, Johnny, you're late going to bed. Would would you make sure you go to bed? I will never do that again, Father dearest. Okay, this is so cool. Hey, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, and I'm pretty sure you remember when your kids were kids, but I don't think correcting ever was a one-time thing. It certainly wasn't for me, and it certainly wasn't for my kids, even though they're pretty perfect. All right? It was something over and over and over. And then finally, parents do this. All right, I've had it. If I say it one more time, you're going to be grounded for life. Really? Grounded for life. For one more time. All that means is you're exasperated. Okay, no one has ever been grounded for life. Let you know, you know, I just want you to know that. Okay. But realistically, what happens is that we get exasperated. We say, I don't want to correct anymore. And you know what Paul's saying? He's saying, this is a journey. God's word is powerful. Don't stop correcting. Even if you feel like stop correcting, don't, don't stop correcting. I don't want you to stop rebuking. I don't want you to stop that. Okay? Now, I'm not saying in some haughty way. I'm saying God's word has some areas that, hey, if, if we're not listening to, let it speak to us. Don't stop that, Timothy. That's important. And don't stop encouraging. That is critical. Because really, there will come a time when people will not listen to good teaching. Do you understand what Paul is saying good teaching is? All right. He refers back to that, but he's basically saying good teaching is correcting, rebuking, and encouraging. Correcting, rebuking, and encouraging. The reason is, is that we have all very short-term memories. And we have a tendency to think we do no more than God. And although we understand times God's principles, oftentimes we substitute our principles in that. That's just the truth. And we need to remind each other, and husbands need to remind spouses. Now this doesn't mean nag. Okay? There's something called nagging. There's not a spiritual gift. Just so you know. Um, But there is something called correcting, rebuking, and encouraging. And Timothy, you need to do that. Because there's going to be come a time when people are just not going to listen to that. They're going to go to places where they have their ears itched. That's an odd term. But where they like hearing what people are saying. Now again, I don't bash a lot of preachers, but I actually am going to bash one. And if you want to email me or talk to me, that's okay. But um, Joel Osteen, as much as he does, and his messages and his preaching or whatever, um, unbelievable large following, unbelievable amount of bucks that go into that ministry. And I and I got to tell you, the majority of it, at least that I've heard and that I've read about, and if people have critiqued that ministry, it's a bunch of things that people like hearing about themselves. And I guess ministries can thrive, or at least for a while like that. But the whole counsel of the Word of God is not just encouraging. Sometimes it's correcting and rebuking. Now it does say, and at least in this context, that Timothy, um, apparently they're listening now to you, 
okay, but in the future, don't give up when they start, well, stop listening, when they stop listening, all right? They will reject the truth. They will chase after myths. They will do anything to satisfy or fulfill the hole that's in your soul, and they will for a little bit. They will. Then the um, admonitions continue. It says, don't fear suffering. Don't be afraid of suffering. All right. Keep a clear mind. Be sober. That's what I jumped over. Keep a clear mind. Be sober. Um, the faithful preacher is to be sober in all things. Now, sober does not mean boring. Sober does not mean um, lacks emotion or excitement. You know, sober really, it's the sixth imperative in this passage, and it literally means free of intoxication. All right. In other words, what you want, what Paul is trying to say is, he's not trying to say don't drink. That's not what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say is, you really need to be, um, have a clear mind in every scenario and situation. You need to be ready to think through life. Think through the scriptures. Um... It's kind of saying, I want you to be level-headed. I want you to be well-balanced. I want you to be control of your faculties. By extension, it includes the ideas of being stable, unwavering, and steadfast. Timothy, it's really, really important that you stay level-headed. It's important. And then he says, don't, don't fear suffering. I, I don't... Honestly, and I probably should have done this, but this is a major, major, major theme in the book of 2 Timothy. He sneaks it in every once in a while, uh, even when it doesn't flow very well. I mean, he's talking really about God's Word. He's talking really about teaching. He's talking about, you know, his temperament. And then he's, he kind of says, hey, don't fear, don't fear suffering. Don't fear suffering. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. You will suffer, Timothy. I do think that's probably a question every one of us have to just continually ask. Where are we losing out? Suffering. Not having all of our needs met. Not having focused on ourselves because we follow Jesus. I do know, again, God followers. I know this they have less money to spend on themselves. Because they're really generous people. I know that. Okay? I'm not saying just generous here. I'm saying generous. They are generous people. Because they realize that God owns everything. They are also tired people. I'm not saying weary. But I'm saying tired. They're doing a lot of good and healthy things. They have a lot less free nights or free hours than maybe someone who isn't following God. See, you're always out. Well, I don't know if it's good to be always out, but I do think that there are healthy ways to be able to follow God, and, and you're going to have less time on yourself. You just are. My guess is you can have nice homes, no, no one's at, but your homes are not going to be your focus. You know? You can have nice cars, but I, I, I got to believe God followers, that's not going to be the most important thing in their lives. It just isn't, you know. Health is really going to be important. I mean, I mean, I know that there are some people that are slaves to working out and, and, and being fit. Oh, Rick, I'm so glad you said that because I'm getting a little extra weight. And I, and I know that I'm not saying you shouldn't be fit and trim. But I'm saying some are slaves to that. How you look, what you do. And I'm, I'm pretty sure God followers recognize it's really good to be healthy, but, but that's not the most important priority in your life all the way through. And you look at this and you say, you will suffer. Sometimes, you know, we, we, um, 
I, many of you know I used to be a youth pastor, and uh, some of the things that we asked our youth leaders to do, um, I look back at and, and kind of wonder why they did it now. Um, but realistically, whether it's mission trips or, or being a camp or going, the, the thing that was the most abominable thing, although the kids loved it probably the most, is this thing called the gypsy trip. And I don't even know why anyone would sign up for this. Ten days living on a bus, getting no sleep, no privacy. And even when you slept, you were sleeping, you know, you had no space. Um, and yet I had leaders signing up for this like I had to turn down leaders. You know, because we had to have kids. It would be really bad just to have a gypsy trip with leaders. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing, you know. But... You look at some of these things. You look at the, the mission trips that some of these kids go on and say, well, you know what, I, I always had mission trips in February. And I had them so they had to take off school. And I made them, okay, talk to their teachers about this. And the reason I did it in February is because when they came back and people saw them all nice and tan, they would ask them, and it wouldn't happen in the summer. And they could say, you know what, I just went to Jamaica. And this is what I spent a week doing. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about it. I say, wow. Well, you got a lot of work to do. You sometimes suffer. There were kids that were benched on sports teams as a result of this. Um, I mean, you just go right down the line and say, well, Rick, that was kind of jerky. Why are you doing this? Well, the, the truth was is that I do believe following Jesus, well, is inconvenient. And... And if we forget that, even as we grow older, you know, I mean, some of us are in retirement age or close to it or whatever, and, and is retirement age just about us? I, I just, you're never going to hear that from me. You're just not. I met a gentleman today. It was really weird. I was at home. I heard the door, uh, our doorbell ring, and I go to the door, and it was the man who built our house in Lake Zurich. It was the first owner. And he lives in New Hampshire, and he stopped by and he says, is it okay if I look at the house, my wife, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So, so I invite him in. He's taking pictures of all the dirty laundry. No, he's, ta- he's taking pictures of everything. Yeah, I'm just kidding, okay. Um, of all the things that are going on, and I'm telling, he goes, oh, you did this, and oh, this happened. And we're out in the backyard, and, and we're going through all these things. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm retired. I said, that's really nice, you know, and I said, well, how do you spend your time, and he's telling me, I go, I go to my old houses, and look, no, <laughs> does, does things like, and he goes, when are you going to retire, and I said, you know, um, no offense to anyone who is, but I just sense I'm, I'm just not going to retire, I, I don't know if I'm always going to get paid or supported for what I'm doing, But you know what, I I have a sense that I have more energy right now telling people the good news. And I was able just to share that, you know. And I have more passion now. And I'm 61 years old. So maybe God is going to slow me down or God's going to put me in a different place or God's going to steer me over in this direction. But I almost think it took him 61 years to get rid of some of the crap. You know what I mean? Maybe you can be used a little bit now. You know, and you still got more to get rid of. But, you know what, this, it's, it's not, I, I'm going to retire later when I see the Lord. I think that's what I'm going to do. Now, we, my wife and I don't always agree on everything, but we're working through these things. Okay. And then he says this, and this is what, this is what Timothy said. This is so cool, because I am telling you, this word scares the heebie-jeebies out of most of us. Okay. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. In some of your translations, it says, do the work of an evangelist. As soon as I say that, and by the way, I want you to know, the majority of your neighbors today do not know who Billy Graham is. I just want you to know that. Okay? If you have not talked to your neighbors lately, all right, they do not know who Billy Graham is. 20 years ago, everybody knew who Billy Graham was. There, there was no doubt. It didn't matter where you're from or what was going on. They don't. But most of us here know who Billy Graham is, and we would say, well, Billy Graham, he's an evangelist. 
Okay. Now, he doesn't do what he used to do, probably because he's older and not doing as well in his health. I get that. And his sons are trying to do some of the things that he was doing. But most of us would say, I'm not an evangelist. I cannot just kind of go out and preach. I can't tell people the good news. It just I, I get all choked up, and, and it's just really hard to do. Now, granted, I think there are people with the gift of evangelism. They have an unbelievable knack to be able to share good news with people. And the mark of an evangelist is that there's fruit that follows. Now, I bet there's a lot of people here who have shared good news with people, and, and it feels like you know, you're speaking Chinese or something like that, you know. But there are others. Man, they don't even have to say two sentences and, and they're down on their knees and repenting of their sin and, and coming into the kingdom. You know, like, wow, how did you do that? You know, or, or whatever. And I know some, God does some of that, and that's really cool. It really is. But I know this, is that what Paul was saying to Timothy, I don't think Timothy had the gift of evangelism. I don't. Now wait, aren't all preachers supposed to have the gift? No, they're not. And I don't think Timothy did. Because what he said, I want you to do the work of an evangelist. Again, this is not a suggestion. This is for all of us. I want you to pretend you're an evangelist. I want you to work Jesus into conversations. I want you to be able to share good news because people are dying. Tell them that you know the bread of life. Alright? And all Paul was saying, is saying, I want you to do the work. I want you to make sure you tell people good news. That's what I want you to do. That's really important. And then he said this. He said, I want you to fully carry out the ministry. Fully carry out the ministry. Wow. I want you to finish well. I want you, if you're a WANA leader, since I have Michelle right here, I'll, I'll just use this great illustration. But if you're an Awana leader, I really want you here totally engaged from 5.45 to 8 o'clock. I want you to finish well that whole time. And if you have opportunity to take kids home, I want you to take kids home. I don't want you to get crabby. I don't want you to say, I'm done. I want you to be fully engaged. I want you to fulfill the ministry that God has given you all the way to the end. Whatever ministry that is. We're all at different stages. We all have different talents. We all have different abilities. But what Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to die soon. He didn't actually say that, but we get the idea. You, fulfill your ministry. Don't do this half-hearted. Don't be feeling sorry for yourself. Don't be thinking, hey, I'm going to take an easier route. Do what God has asked you to do. Finally, Timothy was to fulfill the unique ministry given to him by the Lord. It's the ninth and final imperative and carries the basic idea of giving full measure or bringing to completion. In relation to a person's work, it carries the ideas of eagerness and wholeheartedness. Honestly. I know there's times we get tired or we get crabby. But there's nothing more disheartening to me as a pastor, as a teacher, as a director of a ministry, as a co-worker, whatever title you want to give me, whenever it is, for someone to be lackadaisical about their call, about what God has given them to do. All right? I love telling Doug Hanneman stories. And many of you guys remember Doug Hanneman, but Doug Hanneman, the early years of grace, um, along with Sue, they were an amazing older couple. By the way, retired. All right. And Doug's ministry was to literally take care of the facilities of this church. Now, we had people who were hired to do certain things or this or that. But, you know, Doug, I would just say, wasn't a teacher. Doug wasn't actually a Sunday school teacher. He, he wasn't a wanna leader. And, 
And there were some things that Doug did, but the best thing that Doug did, honestly, and I've never had it replaced to this day, is that he wanted to make sure that this facility shined. It was amazing. He would be the only one that would beat me here on a Sunday morning, and I would get here at 5 o'clock on a Sunday. Okay, that's when I get here. Doug would be here before me. He would already be doing bathrooms. He would already be cleaning mirrors. He would be doing things that were unbelievable. And I looked at him, never for a paycheck. Never. One of the greatest things that Doug misses out right now is he is physically unable to do those things. He literally mourns not able to do it. And it just reminds me over and over again, here's an older guy, he could be doing other things. But his passion in life was to make sure that God's house was unbelievably ready for Sunday. That was it. It was cool. He did have Sue come along at times, but but then Sue had different strengths and ministries, but but Doug had this toilet brush in his hand and had a smile and and it was amazing. It was amazing. You'd never know it, you know. I had uh, the privilege of doing Sue Hanneman's funeral and it was one of the easiest funerals in the whole world to do. Heartbroken. I know Doug misses her desperately every day. But it was so amazing because these two people, these two people wholeheartedly at the latter stages in their lives, serve God with all of their heart. You know, these are nine imperatives to a pastor. Okay? And, and our time is done, which means we got through verse 5. Okay? And we'll continue next week. But my question to you is this. We've been spending time on how important God's Word is. And we've been spending time where Paul is pouring out his heart, ready to see the Lord, giving some advice to a young or a younger pastor. Probably Timothy wasn't that young at this moment. Okay. But he's saying, you know what I learned in life? I learned in life that you need to serve our King with all of your heart. And you need to know God's Word. Because God's Word is the thing that's so foundational in our lives. And I want you to know it so well. I want you to teach it. I want you to preach it. I want you to encourage others. You know, one of the things that I'm impacted is every once in a while, uh, twice a week, I get to take two of my grandkids to school. And one of the things I'm convinced of, it's my job my privilege to be able to pray for them before they go to that school and be able to encourage them with some scripture. And so every Tuesday and Friday, I get to do that. And it is one of the privileges that I have. And I think I caught some of that is because of this study. Now, I used to take them to school a lot in different ways. I used to pray for them. But now, I see a greater responsibility of Grandpa. Is that I want to encourage these kids in their journey. A little bit at a time. Now, our parents do a really good job, I'm pretty sure. Okay. But for this little bit of time, I get to pour into them for a little bit of time. And I guess I just want to ask you this. I don't know what influence you have. Who you influence. Who you hang out with. I don't know what role God's given you. I don't know what ministry God's given you. But I would ask you to look at that. None of you are too old. None of you are not gifted. None of you are to be put on the shelf. There's times to take sabbaticals. There's times to take time off. I get that. No no one's judging. No one's throwing stones right here. But I'm telling you, there's a man who's dying. Who's saying, hey, Tim. Tim. There's some important things in life. I learned that. I'm going to see my Lord really soon. When we get near the end of chapter 4. 
it's not even the end. It's it's just a little bit starting in verse nine. <laughs> we just didn't get there. Um, but it, but it's just I, I can't wait to see the Lord and receive the crown of life. And and I've invested well, Timothy. I want you to invest well. You won't regret if you listen to my words. And that's what I want to say tonight. You guys will you'll you'll make well you'll regret a lot of things. I will. I won't regret doing what God asked me to do with all of my heart, understanding God's word and helping people on their journey. Never. That's our call. That's all of our call. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for the night. I thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about what's important. Lord, I, I am grateful for everything you're doing in our lives and how you're changing us. Give us the wisdom and the strength and the perspective that Paul had. Thank you for his letter. Thank you for his life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.